We're live Sunday. <laughs> well, good evening, those of you that are joining us on Facebook Live. We are in Proverbs chapter 5. If you'll open your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 5, I will read it and then we will pray. All righty. My son, pay attention to my wisdom. Listen closely to my understanding, so that you may, may maintain discretion and your lips safeguard knowledge. Though the lips of the forbidden woman drip honey and her words are smoother than oil, in the end she is bitter as wormwood and as sharp as a double-edged sword. Her feet go down to death, her steps head straight for Sheol. She doesn't consider the path of life, she doesn't know that her ways are unstable. So now, my sons, listen to me. Don't turn away from the words of my mouth. Keep your way far from her. Don't go near the door of her house. Otherwise, you will give up your vitality to others and your years to someone cruel. Strangers will drain your resources and your earnings will end up in a foreigner's house. At the end of your life, you will lament when your physical body has been consumed. And you will say, how I hated discipline in my heart, uh, despised correction. I didn't obey my teachers or listen closely to my mentors. I am on the verge of complete ruin before the entire community. Drink water from your own cistern, water flowing from your own well. Should your springs flow in the streets, streams of water in the public squares, they should be for you alone and not for you to share with strangers. Let your fountain be blessed and take pleasure in the wife of your youth. A loving doe, a graceful fawn, let her breast always satisfy you. Be lost in her love forever. Why, my son, would you be infatuated with a forbidden woman or embrace the breast of a stranger? For a man's ways are before the, eye, uh, the Lord's eyes, and he considers all his paths. A wicked man's iniquities entrap him. He is entangled in the ropes of his own sin, he will die because there is no discipline and be lost because of his great stupidity. Wow. Let's pray. Father, again, we thank you again for your love, for your compassion, for the work that you have done so that we might come to know you as our personal Lord's and, uh, Lord and Savior. Father, we thank you for uh, the fact that you have put us into the body of Christ and that we have brothers and sisters around the world. Uh, we thank you, Lord, that sometimes those brothers and sisters uh, are encouraging and sometimes they're irritating. Thank you for the work that you do through those irritations and through the encouragement. Thank you now for an opportunity to look into your word. We'd ask, Father, that you might open our hearts and minds uh, to the things that we have here and that uh, where we need to be convicted, Lord, that your spirit would do just that, where we need encouragement, uh, that we might find that also in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Okay, so we're in the fifth chapter, and uh, we have the Father's sixth lesson. You might sit there and say, why six? Well, because we broke up chapter one into a couple of different uh, uh, sessions. So it uh, starts out, listen. Listening is more than listening uh, from a biblical perspective. Uh, a lot of times we say, how come you guys aren't listening to me? And maybe it's the wife talking to the husband or the parent talking to the kid, and the other person will immediately respond with what you just said. Does that mean they were listening? Well, it means they heard what you said. But when we come to the Bible and we see the concept of listening or hear, the idea is you're hearing, you're paying attention so that you can do what has been said. So uh, notice, pay attention, lend your ear. The idea is applying thy mind to it and consider it diligently. Uh, that would be kind of like the definition of the Hebrew word there. Uh, pay attention to my wisdom, lend your ear to my understanding. Uh, the things that I have learned since I have grown. Uh, how many of you... Um, recognize you probably have more to teach to your kids right now than when they were growing up in your house. It's amazing how much you learn after they leave. <laughs> no, it's just the process of growing. You get that foundation laid, and then the house can be built a whole lot better, and we're normally raising the family when the foundation is getting laid, not when it's 
dried, cured, and all that kind of stuff. Uh, we're still in the process of uh, building the foundation. And by the time the kids are up and out, that's when, okay, now we're seeing the roof peak. And it's kind of like, you know, I, I've got a lot of things that I could share with my kids. And if they're willing to hear, listen, pay attention, uh, I, I have wisdom to share. Uh, willing to hear is always the issue uh, that he speaks to several times here. Letter B, the benefits of listening, paying attention, lending your ear, that you may preserve discretion. The word preserve is take heed or guard or keep. The word discretion, uh, basically the root of that word means the plan. Or if you will, lived out wisdom so that you may keep or live out Wisdom is basically what you see there. So notice uh, Proverbs chapter 2, verse 11. Discretion will preserve you. Understanding will keep you. And in this particular case, you're, taking, uh, you're preserving it. You're taking heed to the plan. Number two, and your lips may keep knowledge. Malachi 2, 7, for the lips of a priest should keep knowledge. The people should seek the law from his mouth. For he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. Now, uh, the average church person is going to take an application from that and say, well, I guess the pastor is supposed to be full of wisdom and I need to listen to him. Well, that might be wise, but guess what the Bible calls all of us? We're a royal priesthood. So all of us are called to uh, be filled with wisdom that people may come and get that from, uh, from us. Number two, abstain from fleshly lusts. We'll see this in verses 3 through 14. Psalm 55, 21 says, The words of his mouth were smoother than butter, but war was in his heart. His words were softer than oil, yet they were drawn swords. Uh, the concept of deception is a common thing. When we think about politics, uh, I'm amazed to hear how many things Joe Biden has accomplished that he, he promised he would do. And I'm amazed to hear that uh, Donald Trump uh, said he was going to do all these things and he didn't. And it's kind of like, look at what both of the men have had to put up with in their uh, time as president and it's surprising that Donald Trump accomplished anything, to be honest with you. And uh, when the guy said, well, he said he was going to do this and he didn't, I listened to the argument. It's kind of like, you know, yeah, he's kind of right. He didn't do that. And I think he might have been able to, but yeah, he did a lot of other things, though. And then when I think about the accomplishments of Joe Biden, I'm sitting there going, Where, where'd you get that list again? <laughs> and I'm not saying he hasn't done anything. But everything that I can see is, well, he's going to be the great uniter. He's going to bring everybody back together. Uh, yeah. Um, politicians, they're smooth talkers. But on the other side of things, they've got a sword in their mouth, you know, that kind of a thing. And every now and again, you get to see that, uh, I imagine, with either one of those two guys. So uh, letter A, the presentation. For the lips of an immoral woman drip honey. Uh, Proverbs 2.16, uh, if you get wisdom, get understanding, it'll deliver you from the immoral woman, from the seductress who flatters with her words. Proverbs 6.24, to keep you from the evil woman, from the flattering tongue of the seductress. So when we uh, look at how else uh, he describes the immoral woman, her lips dripping honey, we see that she flatters. Okay, now the word for drip there is nataf, and it basically means to ooze. When you think of pouring honey out of a jar, you ever notice that it's not like pouring hot water out of a jar? It just kind of oozes out little by little. You fill your spoon, put it in the coffee, mix it up, and by the time you've mixed it all up, you can put the spoon back up there and catch the first drip that's coming down because it takes that long to ooze out of the bottle. Uh, that's the idea there. And as far as dripping honey, uh, the nofeth, uh, a dripping of honey uh, from the honeycomb. Again, the concept is it looks really uh, tasteful. It's... Uh, it's nice, it's flattery, but it goes on to say her mouth is smoother than oil. The word for smoother is shalak. And uh, notice it just basically means sm flattering. 
And then uh, oil, uh, the word is shemen, and the first word here, grease. So we're not talking about, you know, uh, olive oil that you're pouring in the pan. We're talking about the grease that you put between two pieces of metal so it slips back and forth nice and easy, uh, that kind of a thing. Especially liquid as from the olive, often perfumed, richness, anointing, anointing oil, etc. So her mouth is smoother than oil. She says a lot of nice things. Um, There have been times in the past when Lynn goes... You know, every time that person comes up to me, they, they say things that I just have to believe they're flattery. They're, 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 she's a flatterer. She's not really complimenting. She's trying to get me to do something. Kind of like, ah, yeah, I understand what you're saying. Uh, that's the idea there. Uh, the, now, that's the presentation, the reality. But in the end, she is bitter as wormwood. The word wormwood basically is the idea of poison or poison oak, okay? Uh, Ecclesiastes 7.26 says, Her house is the way to hell, descending to the chambers of death. So her, that's her end. Uh, but at the same time, it says that her tongue is, or she's, like a sharp, she's sharp as a two-edged sword. We have the same concept in the Word of God. It's living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. Now, in this particular case, we have piercing even to the division of soul and spirit, the joints and marrow, and the discerner and the thoughts and intents of the heart. The only thing that the two relate to is the concept of the two-edged sword. The two-edged sword, you can't grab the top side of it because it's sharp up here. And, you, of course, you don't want to grab the bottom side because it's sharp down there too. Uh, it brings a cut no matter what side you get hit with is the idea. And it goes on to say, Her feet go down to uh, death, her steps lay hold of hell. Proverbs 7.27, Her house is the way to hell, descending to the chambers of death. Uh, So let's face it, when we're talking about the immoral woman, and in this day and age, I I know most of you don't uh, follow social media maybe as much as I do, and maybe I do too much, and we're working on that. We're down 67% this past week on our time on the, yeah, hallelujah. Actually, I was just busy. (laughs) But uh, the, the reality is, is to listen to some of the young women that complain about men. On my TikTok, I chose three subjects. One was uh, politics, one was religion, one was uh, couples. And um, to listen to the young women complain about men is kind of like, who would want to be with that woman? And then to find out that a, a good percentage of men in America today that are looking for wives are going overseas. We're not talking about the mail-order brides from Ukraine or Russia or anything like that. They're going overseas to find women who want to be wives, not CEOs of companies and stuff like that. And uh, we were recently in the book of Isaiah where it talked to the haughty daughters of Jerusalem. And when I was reading the passage about the haughty daughters of Jerusalem, all I could think about was so many of these young ladies that are on TikTok that are demanding, uh, they're arrogant, and uh, they, they may small, uh, talk smooth and all that kind of stuff when they're out looking for a date, but they are not looking for a husband that they can be an encouragement to, that they can uh, consider his uh, vision of what their family might mean. They're looking for some guy who's going to uh, dote on them and take care of them and and hopefully provide lots of money. And uh, if he's not going to do any of that, well, drop him and get another one. And that's where we get into the whole concept of uh, uh, the number keeping, uh, how, oh, a body count. And a lot of these girls talk about their body count. And I was listening to one today that said, you know, when we're talking about body count, it was a soldier. He goes, I thought we were talking about how many people you killed and then found out that it's not that. (laughs) It's how many people you've been sleeping around with. And uh, he said, the larger the body count, the closer you are to all the reasons you need for divorce. And yet, that's where so many young people in this day and age uh, are following that path. And it's, you know, it's because there's no wisdom. There's no uh, understanding. And that's where their uh, steps lead. That brings us to letter C, the fall. 
Now in James 1, 13 through 15, it says, let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. Now in this chapter, God is the one who has brought the trial. Okay? It's a trial. It's a test. It's the same word as temptation. But it says, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Now, some versions actually translate it temptations, but uh, it's a trial. And God is trying to stretch you, develop your spiritual muscles, make you more like Jesus Christ, develop endurance, patience, all those kinds of things. And if in the midst of that trial you need wisdom, you're to ask of God. He doesn't rebuke uh, and he gives liberally, but you are to ask in faith. And if in doing so, you learn the lesson that God has for you, there's a reward waiting for you in heaven. That comes up to uh, verse 13. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. Now, the reason why I brought up the first part was because he's the one that brought the trial. The outlook of the person determines whether it's a trial or a temptation. He brought a trial. The outlook of the person should be, God's testing me. He's developing my faith. What do I need to learn in this situation? God, give me wisdom. Give me grace. Let's do it. But if he doesn't have that God word orientation, he has a self-orientation, that same trial becomes a temptation. It's not God's fault that it's become a temptation. That's why you can't blame God. He doesn't tempt anyone, and he can't be tempted. Okay? With that in mind, it goes on to say, But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then, when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. So the, what we see here is if we're going to talk about a person that has fallen into sin, there needs to be an acknowledgement by that person. And if you're that person, by you. If I'm that person, by me. That the issue was not God. It was not the trial. It was me. Okay? So notice the fall. Lest you ponder her path. Her ways are unstable. Now, it's not saying ponder her path and, oh, yeah, boy, her ways are unstable. He's already telling you that they're unstable. The word to ponder here is nuah, uh, to waver continually, fugitive, to go up and down, be gone away, be moved, be movable, uh, be promoted, real, uh, remove, scatter. So the, when we talk about pondering her way, we're talking about someone who is is able to, you know, do this kind of a thing with her. So he's actually being deceived by her lips that drip honey. He's taking in that flattery. He's considering, wow, this would be fun, that kind of a thing. And um, number two, you do not know then. The idea of you do not know is you cannot know. What, what can't you know? Today she loves you. Tomorrow you are a, the curse of her existence. You cannot know her ways. You know, she's, she's dripping honey now. This would be a great message for the guys that are in the clubs and the bars. You know, she's telling you how nice you are now, but then you get married to her, and she wants 50% of your house, all the money that you might have, stuff like that. You see this kind of stuff on TV all the time. It actually happens all too often, and guys are, you know, they're, they've not, they don't know her way. They're thinking, she's hot, you know, that'll be fun. And bing, bang, bong, they lose half of what they own because, well, we were married for six years or some silly thing like that. All right, that brings us to number three, remedy, remedies prescribed against that sin, verses 7 through 23. Uh, first of all, a direction. He says, listen. Therefore, hear me now, my children. Do not depart from the words of my mouth. So again, we're not just hearing words. We're hearing words for the purpose of following them. Okay? Um, 
He goes on, do your part. It says, remove your way far from her. Do not go near the door of her house. It is interesting. When I was a youth pastor, uh, very often the question was, how close can you come to sin before it's sin? The father is telling the son, don't even go near the path. Why? Because if you get over there, you're going to fall on your face. Why would you be there in the first place if it wasn't for the fact that you wanted what over there was offering? That's why it's a temptation, because of your desires. So don't even go near it. Um, he goes on to say, and do not go near the door of her house. Let her be the consequences of not listening. If you're not going to listen to the directions of dad, this is what's going to happen. Number one, loss of character and time. What do I mean by that? Well, he goes on to say, lest you give your honor to others and your years to the cruel one. Okay. Whenever we're dealing with this subject, um, I have to concern myself with how can I say things in such a way that you're getting the point and not being offended by crudeness or anything like that? I was exposed to hard hardcore pornography when I was four years old. My life from that time until the time I was 21 was how can I fulfill the lusts of my heart? So pornography was an issue through my teen year, teenage years and uh, as soon as uh, possible, I was getting involved in those kinds of things. Uh, okay, you get saved. What does that change? Well, it changes your heart, changes your eternal destiny. But what happens to most young believers? They're really excited about and sold out for Jesus. Hallelujah. But then life happens. And what happens? They fall back into old thinking patterns and old habits. And so here I am, four months old in the Lord, going to Bible college where there's a bunch of beautiful, young, Christian ladies. There were no lustful thoughts in my mind at all. Sure there were. Not only that, but how many young Christian ladies are very Christian in their outlook. Um, remember going to Camp Sonago one year, and one counselor said something to a young lady that was just super inappropriate. He wasn't necessarily wrong in what he was thinking about the situation. Young man, young lady walking down the path, and uh, she's got her shirt unbuttoned down to here and then kind of pulled back like that, so supposedly it would stay up here. <laughs> of course, it always slips down. And uh, he's just a walking hormone, you know. And uh, he, he said something that was inappropriate. So they and a couple of their friends who were there heard the whole thing. They came and talked to me. And uh, I got the thing worked out as far as he, he admitted what he said was inappropriate, asked for forgiveness, da-da-da-da-da-da. And then I talked to them about, okay, think about it with me. Here, here's what the Bible says about this subject. Is that what you're doing? And obviously, they're not doing what God says. They're doing what uh, normal young teenage kids do. They're not really sold out for Jesus. They might be saved, but, you know, they're doing what they want to do. Well, I apparently offended that young lady in such a way that the following year, she basically told Coach, if I was going to be a counselor, she wasn't going. So I was asked not to be a counselor. You know something? I like my sleep. Uh, so I, didn't be, I wasn't a counselor. Uh, the following year, he called and talked to pastor, and um, he, he said something along the lines of, well, you know, what Al did was inappropriate. And pastor goes, uh, if Al did something that was inappropriate, you think you should have told me a couple of years ago? You know, because I'm still... <laughs> working here. And uh, so he gave the rundown and then pastor came and got my side of the story. And um, the reality was, was in this day and age, how careful do men have to be in talking about this subject? Because this subject is blown way out of proportion in the wrong ways. Uh, but I did not say anything that was inappropriate. I came back to the Word of God and talked about, here's what the immoral woman looks like. Here's what the godly woman looks like. You know, we're not talking about 
man-made standards. What does the Bible teach about the way they dress? Modesty. The word modest basically means don't draw attention to. Um, and the way a lot of girls dress, uh, they draw attention to. You know, Yeah, well, that guy just needs to control himself. You know, you're right. But it also says that you don't need to defraud him. And that's basically promising him something that you can't rightfully give. Well, how am I promising? You're showing him stuff that he doesn't need to see because we're visually oriented as men. Well, you just need to control. Yes, I, I don't disagree, but you can make it easy to control myself or you can make it hard to control myself. <laughs> uh, that kind of a thing. But uh, thankfully, that all worked out. I haven't been a counselor at Camp Sanago since, and I have slept well. Uh, <laughs> but but uh, because normally the kids are trying to sneak out and things like that. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. But it is one of those situations where because of the way I grew up, an awful lot of time was wasted as I'm trying by God's grace. Well, I can't say by God's grace. Initially, it was me trying, me trying, me trying, me promising it'll never happen again and continuing to deal with the lusts of my heart. I'm thankful that God has given me the grace to be an overcomer in that area. Uh, if I were to see something, it's kind of like, yeah, well, I'll just keep going. It's, it's not the temptation that it used to be. Uh, but you give years to the cruel one, the one that's constantly trying to uh, influence you and put you back into that slavery. Number two, the loss of material substance. Lest aliens be filled with your wealth and your labors go to the house of a foreigner. The idea is if you're chasing after prostitutes, your money is going elsewhere. That's, that's the idea of this passage. goes on to say, regret over loss. Uh, and you mourn at last when your flesh and your body are consumed. What is one of the difficulties of uh, sex outside of marriage with an immoral woman? The concept of STDs or whatever. Um, Proverbs one twenty five and 29 and 12, 1. Uh, 125, because you disdained all my counsel and would have none of my rebuke. Now that's wisdom talking to the simple. Uh, because they didn't listen. Uh, verse 29, because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. Proverbs 12.1, whoever loves instruction loves knowledge, but he who hates correction is stupid. Interesting, we get all uptight about the word stupid. And yes, that's a translation, but it's not a translation like they decided to use stupid and it really didn't mean that. No, that's what it means. Uh, and how many times... When kids need to listen, they're just being stupid. They, they don't want to be corrected. They don't want to listen. Um, so that is uh, Proverbs 1, 25, 29, 12, 1. Number two there, I have not obeyed the voice of my teachers, nor inclined my ear to those who instructed me. You know, it's very easy when you've been rebuked to feel sorry for yourself. I can't get what I want. Instead, the Scripture teaches we really need to be listening to those who discipline us, who uh, rebuke us, and find out what we're supposed to learn. But because we're naturally foolish, and that doesn't grow out of us, um, th this is the response. I have not obeyed the voices of my teachers, nor inclined my ear to those who instructed me. Number three, I was on the verge of total ruin in the midst of the assembly and congregation. So here's a guy that's at least part of the tribes of Israel and his lust, his going after that immoral woman has brought him to the point of public bankruptcy. People know that he's that kind of guy. Um, he, he should be embarrassed. He, he is, okay? Uh, that's regret over loss. Let her see God's remedy Verses 15 through 20. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, God's first remedy. <laughs> 1 Corinthians 7, 9. But if they cannot exercise self-control. By the way, who cannot exercise self-control? If you have the Spirit of God in you, self-control is the fruit of the Spirit. So that means that any believer could surrender but do we 
when we're younger? No. So if you can't exercise self-control, if you haven't figured out how to control yourself at this point, let them marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. Now, that's what the Bible says. There's a few more verses. I'll read them in a moment. But here's what the modern Christian says. They're too young. Yeah, I understand. To get married. You know, they might be 18. They're too young. I understand what you're saying. What does the Bible say? Now, if they get married at that age, are they going to need help to grow up? Sure enough. It's interesting. In Brazil, one of the things that they try and teach their young people that are getting married, that their witnesses are people that are going to continue to help them along as they grow in their marriage. Why is that important? Two sinners put under the same roof, both wanting their own way. Hmm, I wonder what's going to happen. <laughs> That's why we do marriage counseling. <laughs> I don't know how many times I've told young people that have gone through premarital counseling. Now, in six months when the uh, honeymoon stage is over and you guys start living in the real world, a lot of these lessons are going to mean something and you're going to forget that you have this book. At that point, I want you to find this book, come back in, and let's talk. I finally have my first person that's come back and said, let's talk. They want to resolve some of the issues that they've been putting up with. And hallelujah, I'm glad of it. Um, because that's what we as older people are supposed to do for those younger people. If they're 18, they're not very mature, you know. But... Have things gotten started in them? Have their hormones made them go, yeah. in a lot of ways, sometimes, especially in this world, I mean, we think we got it bad here. Down in Brazil, there's newsstands all over the place, corners of various uh, streets, and on the, plastered on the outside of the newsstands is the centerfold. You don't have to buy the magazine to see the centerfold. It's right there. They think about the whole subject way differently than we do. But we're getting there. I mean, there are various things on social media that have all of a sudden become a trend that I'm going, okay, uh, hide that page. I don't want that page popping back up on my Facebook page. It's kind of like, where? I never looked at something to get on that page. They just throw it in there. We're constantly, constantly being bombarded by this stuff. And young people, in order to overcome this whole concept, they need to learn how to walk in the Spirit because then and only then will you not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And yet we expect our young people to, you just shouldn't do that. Look, they got to learn how to walk with God. And if they can't control themselves, they need to get married. And then they need help walking through that whole process. How about uh, 1 Timothy 5, 11 and 12? Talking about widows, he says, but refuse the younger widows. I, I love this passage. Uh, For when they have begun to grow wanton against Christ. Now, the whole idea here is not, eh, Christ is nothing. They're, they've, they're submitting themselves to serve the church. And the further they go along, it's kind of like, oh, man, I really wish I had a husband. They're not ready to be a nun most nuns aren't ready to be nuns, okay? Just like priests aren't ready to be priests. Nor did God ever require that of them. Uh, but the whole thing is they would like to have someone. Companionship and, and all that goes with marriage. Uh, it grows wanton against Christ. They desire to marry having condemnation because they have cast off their first faith. The idea there is there's, a, there's guilt because they had committed themselves to serve the church and now they want to get married which means they're not going to be serving the church anymore. They're going to be serving their husband. Uh, so now they have guilt because of that, or condemnation, as it says here. It's not talking about eternal condemnation. It's talking about uh, what they live with because they were serving the church, and now they're not. They were being supported by the church, etc. Verse 14, Therefore I desire that younger widows marry, bear children, manage the house, give no opportunity to the adversary to speak reproachfully. Now, in this passage, guess who a younger widow is? 
60. Let her get married and have kids. <laughs> okay, that seems kind of far-fetched for us in this day and age, but we will say we're 2,000 years removed from this. And I saw recently where some 50-year-old woman, they had gotten married and she got pregnant. So it does happen, but uh, oh well. Moving right along. So God's remedy, get married. Notice what he says. Drink water from your own cistern. Now he's using uh, an illustration here. Um, he goes on to say, and running water from your own well. This is basically saying, as far as that area, the sexual area, uh, the intimacy area, get that from your wife. Okay? He goes on. Intimacy is a private subject. He says, should your fountains be dispersed abroad, streams of water in the streets? Let them be only your own and not for strangers with you. And let's face it, if you're going to the strip club, you're going around the corner to see if she's walking the street over there, you're in a public setting, yeah, they try and make it as hidden as possible and all that kind of stuff, but the reality is is you're out in public and uh, intimacy is uh, a private subject. 1 Corinthians uh, 7, 1-5. Now, uh, concerning the things of which you wrote to me, in other words, they actually asked him questions about this subject, which, by the way, is a good thing. I don't know how many times I've told people, look, in your devotions, if you're reading something and you don't understand it, get a pad as part of your devotion uh, package, if you will, and write down the verse and what your question is. And then go and talk to me, someone else, and... uh, learn. You know, nothing wrong with that. These people, they did that. He says, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. <laughs> uh, the, the concept of touch here is in a sexual way. It's not just, hello. <laughs> uh, but uh, touch is um, the area where women are a little bit more open to uh, that kind of a situation where men, it's just, they saw it. <laughs> that's it. Uh, goes on to say, because of sexual immorality, let each man have his own wife and let each woman have her own husband. Let the husband render to his wife the affection due her and likewise also the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another except with consent for a time that you may give yourselves to fasting and prayer and come together again so that Satan does not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Huh. They should marry because of the lack of self-control. Now they're married and they shouldn't deprive one another because of the lack of self-control. Is he only talking to young people? And the answer is no. It absolutely amazes me the amount of families, husband and wife, that they're not dealing with the issues that they need to deal with. And then somewhere in the rush, the wife decides, that's it, you're cut off. And the husband can go just so long, and then he does something stupid, sinful, and she's surprised. No reason to be surprised. Look what he says. Okay? Yeah, if you're going to abstain from marital relations, you do it in agreement. Most women are saying, okay, we can abstain for the next month, and the husband's going, "Uh uh-uh. Okay? Uh, Three days, no. (laughs) We can joke about that another time. But the whole point is, is we're in agreement on this thing. What's the purpose of it? Fasting and prayer. Now, there are other issues that may bring up the need for some abstinence, etc., cetera, uh, sickness, injury, things like that. But the reality is, is the same principles apply. There needs to be that coming back together again. Why? Because of uh, your lack of self-control. So it's for a time that you may give yourself to fasting and prayer and then come together again. Why? So that Satan doesn't tempt you. This is the easiest, the most basic area where Satan can get anyone. And yet, 
we play games with it. We're either playing games with it when we shouldn't be or when we should be involved, enjoying the whole situation, kind of like, well, I don't feel like it. That kind of a thing. Um, I'm sorry. And if you feel rebuked, just look at the Bible. I don't have to say any more. Letter B. For why should you, my son, be enraptured by an immoral woman and be em- uh, embraced in the arms of a seductress? Proverbs 2.16. To deliver you from the immoral woman, from the seductress who flatters with her words. And 7.5. That they may keep you from the immoral woman, from the seductress who flatters with her words. So uh, again, this is a public thing and uh, uh, intimacy is a private thing thing. Uh, Number three, enjoy each other. Oh, look out. Here we go. Notice, let your fountains be blessed and rejoice with the wife of your youth. Uh, Hebrews 13.4 says, marriage is honorable among all and the marriage bed undefiled. Now, some will say, well, it means and the marriage bed shouldn't be defiled or, or something like that. Uh, it's not what my versions say, and I, I've looked at a few. Um, the idea is sex inside of marriage is okay. It's a good thing. It goes on. But fornicators, that would be sex outside of the marriage bounds. Uh, and adulterers, that's sex inside the marriage bounds, but outside of the marriage bounds. Uh, God will judge. Okay? Uh, so... Uh, let your fountain be blessed. Rejoice with the wife of your youth. Let her be as a loving deer and a graceful doe. Let her breast satisfy you at all times and always be enraptured with her love. Um, Song of Solomon 2, 9, 4, 5, 7, 3. Uh, because there may be younger ears listening, uh, read the verses for yourself. Um, This isn't necessarily the way men should probably describe their wives in today's day and age. I'm sure it was a compliment back then. But you can see from these things that the husband is having a great appreciation for his wife's body. Not only that, but if you look at Song of Solomon chapter 5, you would see where the wife has a great appreciation for her husband's body. And no, it's not just when they're young and got muscles. It's they have a love for each other and they can enjoy that whole thing. Okay? So enjoy each other. Letter D. God judges being omniscient. Verses 21 to 23. The accountability of the righteous. He says, For the ways of man are before the eyes of the Lord. Now, obviously, the ways of all men are uh, in the eyes of the Lord because You can't escape his presence, right? But he ponders all of his paths. Uh, Let me read a couple of verses for you. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. In this you have done foolishly. Therefore, from now on, you shall have wars. Job 31.4. Does he not see my ways and count all my steps? And the obvious answer is, yes, he does. Job, uh, Job 34, 21. For his eyes are on the ways of man, and he sees all of his steps. Proverbs 15, 3. For the eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on the evil and the good. Jeremiah 16, 17. For my eyes are on all their ways. Are they, not, uh, they are not hidden from my face, nor is their iniquity hidden from my eyes. Jeremiah 32, 19. You are great in counsel and mighty in work, for your eyes are open to all the ways of the sons of men to give everyone according to his ways, according to the fruit of his doings. Hosea 7.2, they do not consider in their hearts that I remember all their wickedness. Now their own deeds have surrounded them. They, have, they are before my face. And then Hebrews 4.13, and there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Now, uh, this morning I was reading in The Pursuit of God, A.W. Tozer, and he's talking about basically the, I think the word is imminency, not in the sense of imminent, like he might show up at any time, but imminency in the sense that God is present everywhere, 
okay? If one of you were out at the sun and another were at Alpha Centauri and I'm here on earth, God would be present with all three of us. So for the believer, obviously, he is present not only living in us, but with us. Um, But for some, his presence is, unfortunately, much like many marriages where they're existing together. There's not a lot of communication. There's not a lot of joy and happiness. They might have moments. But that's how many Christians experience the presence of God. The more you surrender yourself to him, the more you experience his presence in like a marriage that is doing well, where there's communication, there's joy in the presence of that person. I've seen videos where the wife has complained about how loud the husband is breathing. I mean, really? Especially if he's got a sinus issue. It's kind of like, give the guy a break, would you? But, uh, you know, when you're walking with the Lord, and I don't just mean doing the church thing, I mean you're spending time in his word, you've, you've prayed, you've listened. When all of that is a part of your normal day, you, you experience the presence of God in a different way than a couple that's just living together. Yeah, they're married, but they're just kind of existing. Um, Lynn and I... Uh, it's usually at bedtime when we get a few moments where we can pick on each other and laugh at each other and things like that. But there have been times when I'll say something and, and she'll smart off to me. You don't think Lynn's like that. She, she will smart off to me. And it's just hilarious. We sit there and laugh at each other. And of course, I'll normally give it right back to her. But uh, of course, <laughs> but uh, we enjoy being with each other. Uh, to the point where, okay, she wants me to go do the shopping. Well, you want to go with me? And she used to say no. And then she kind of figured out that I just want to be with her. You know, so we're going and shopping. You know, we spend more money when she comes. Uh, so I really want to be with her if I'm willing to spend more money. <laughs> but uh, that, that's the kind of relationship we can have with God. We can enjoy each other as uh, not only our husband and wife, but our relationship with him. He's with us. He sees everything that's going on. He considers our way. And think about it. He wants to lead us. Those that are led by the Spirit are the sons of God. He wants to lead us. Well, how does he lead well, the average person is going to say, well, you know, his word, well, that, that is true. But, you know, there have been times when in sensing the leading of the Spirit, I've had a tire repaired. Huh? Yeah, it just, it was an impression on me on a Saturday. Kind of like, you know, your flat tire, your spare tire is flat. Oh, yeah. Went and got it fixed. The next morning we were on deputation and we ran around towards the JB Bridge, had a blowout. My spare tire had been flat and thankfully it was fixed. And so I stopped for 15 minutes, changed the tire, hit the road and got to the church on time. Uh, because on time is 15 minutes early at least, right? <laughs> uh, so uh, God, he ponders our paths. Number two, the consequences of willful ignorance, verses 22 and 23. First of all, entrapment. Notice number one, his own iniquities entrap the wicked man, and he is caught in the cords of his sin. Psalm 9:15 says, The nations have sunk down in the pit which they made. In the net which they hid, their own foot is caught. That is uh, one of those things that is taught over and over and over again. We even see it in Proverbs chapter 1, where you can't cast a bird, uh, a net in front of a bird that sees the net. You know, are you going to dig a hole and you're going to fall into the hole that you meant to entrap someone else and it's going to come back on you? We see that in politics a lot also. Letter B, death following vanity of life. Number one, then he shall die for lack of instruction. Job 4.21 says, Does not their own excellence go away? They die even without wisdom. Job 36.12, But if they do not obey, they shall perish by the sword, and they shall die without knowledge. So if they're without wisdom and they're without knowledge, what has their life amounted to? 
vanity. It has no eternal value. And it says here he will die for the lack of instruction because he didn't learn the fear of the Lord. He didn't learn wisdom and understand how to live. And in the greatness of his folly, he shall go astray. Thankfully, we fit more into number one than number two. The consequences for willful ignorance should be a description of what happens to unbelievers because they're not seeking out wisdom. They're not getting instruction, uh, understanding. And we recognize that God sees everything we do. So therefore, with that in mind, hopefully we are seeking his face so that we're doing the things that he would have us to do. So, a little bit of a touchy subject. Years ago, Cy Prokaski was doing the trivia night here, and I wasn't able to make it for some reason, but Daniel and a couple of the kids came, and the question was, which chapter in the Bible is the love chapter? And Daniel at the table immediately said, Proverbs chapter 5. And pastor said, no, that's the sex chapter. <laughs> and obviously the love chapter is uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13 there. Uh, but uh, hopefully we have dealt with this subject in a way that was uh, not, it didn't make your ears burn too much. Uh, but at the same time, hopefully I've gotten across clear that um, God has a way of doing those things and they're actually pretty simple and it's kind of fun also if you're doing it the way he says, right? Amen. <laughs> All right, let's close in prayer and we'll let you go. Father, we do thank you once again. You, you've been so good to us in so many ways. When we consider the things that you provided for Adam in that first and second chapter, you really did provide everything that was necessary for him. Uh, and one of the best things was that uh, one that he could have communion with, uh, that he might be able to enjoy in, a, in an intimate way uh, through the woman that you gave him. Uh, we recognize, Lord, that uh, sin entered the world, and that kind of messes up every relationship. We do ask, Lord, that you would give each of us grace and wisdom as we deal with young people, as we try and teach them uh, the right way to handle this subject, and, Lord, that uh, young people would be willing to listen, learn how to walk in the Spirit, and uh, handle these things through your strength. Again, we thank you for your love and care for us. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. All righty. Have a good God-honoring week. We'll see you, uh, Lord willing, on Wednesday.